Good morning, everyone. It is a beautiful morning. It's always great to worship the Lord together. A few announcements as we get started. Um, we will be having a barbecue following the service next week. So you can bring, you're welcome to bring sides or desserts or drinks. The meat will be provided. It's all free. It's just like a potluck. We get to hang out and bust out the barbecue and enjoy time together. So you're all invited. Feel free to stick around and enjoy that. Um, also, we're going to be doing some, uh, gathering up some content for the website next week as well. So there may be a camera around uh, just to let you know. Also, uh, this week, we are going to um, have communion following the service today. So uh, it'll be at the end of the service. And uh, it's gluten-free. It's alcohol-free. So this is just, uh, yeah, something we do to remember the Lord and to proclaim his death till he comes. So at the end of the message, I'll just invite you to the worship team to come up. Then you'll be invited to come up. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to receive and then take the bread and cup back to your seats, and then we'll pray together and receive. So we'll be in Romans chapter 10, if you want to turn there, and let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being our Father, for giving us all things that pertain to life and godliness, for allowing us to gather together to proclaim the death of Lord Jesus Christ and to really show how he loves us. And uh, how you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were sinners, you died for us. And I pray that we would give ourselves as living sacrifices unto you, Father, because you have lavished such a love on us, an everlasting love, uh, and that you pursue us with that love. And I pray that through us, your love would be shown, that every person that comes here today uh, would know they have experienced the love of Jesus through your people. And thank you, Lord, that it's you who does this work, and it's all by your grace. And so as we read your word, Lord, please fill us with your spirit and give us understanding of your truth that we might apply it faithfully to our lives and glorify and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. I really like foreshadowing in film. You find it in literature as well. But it really is ineffective as a technique if people aren't aware of it or they don't notice it. It's like dropping breadcrumbs along a path that's hinting where the plot's going before the plot actually arrives there. And sometimes it's only after you've arrived there, you're like, oh, this was actually hinted early on, but I didn't notice it. And one thing that we see in the Bible is that Jesus did not just foreshadow, or, or God did not foreshadow the coming of Jesus or what he would accomplish. Jesus explicitly said why he came to the earth and what he was going to do, that he was going to be uh, crucified and that he would die, rise from the dead and give eternal life to all who trust in him. And, and he pointed to Moses, right? Lifting up the serpent in the wilderness that even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he's pointing to this event that occurred and he's saying, that's going to be me. And by looking upon me in faith, you will uh, receive everlasting life. And so he didn't just foreshadow, but he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise from the dead. But his disciples did not understand. They lacked that understanding. So they were totally unprepared when the exact same thing that Jesus said would happen, happened. They were shocked by it. 
And we can be shocked by what God does as well, because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not ours. The gospel, it was foreshadowed. It was revealed through the law, the Psalms and the prophets. Israel had received God's word. They sought to follow it, but they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah that was sent by God to save people from their sins. And Paul's going to cite many verses here in this chapter. So there's a lot of scriptures we're going to look at today that God's salvation was intended from the beginning. It wasn't an afterthought. It was all purposed and planned by him. And he will go back into the old Testament and show, see, he said this. And the prophet said this, all these things were spoken that culminated, that was fulfilled in Jesus coming and dying for sinners. So having established the sovereignty of God, that salvation is God's choice, that salvation's God's work in chapter nine. In chapter 10, Paul focuses more on the responsibility of people to be saved, to be willing to be saved, to be willing to believe. And quite often we're mired in wondering, like, is this person that I know and love saved? Will they be saved? And I'm concerned. I want to have assurance of their salvation, but know that what the point that Paul's making is one that we can assume and ignore that there is salvation possible. So yes, there is salvation possible. God's purposed it. He's ordained it. He's provided it through his son that for Jew and Gentile, for all people right now through faith in Jesus Christ, you can be saved and you can know that you're, you're saved. So by God's grace, all sinners can be saved. The question is whether they will choose to be saved whether they will trust in him. That's up to them. That's their responsibility. And he holds them accountable to that. Romans 10, starting verse one, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In the previous chapter, Paul said that Jews stumbled over salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, that it's through faith in him that we are justified, that we are made righteous in the eyes of God. Instead, they tried to earn their righteousness through works by keeping the law. And Paul reiterates his love for his brethren that his desire and prayer is that they would be saved. He wanted them to be saved from God's wrath. He wanted them to be saved from eternal judgment and torment and separation from God. But remember, God doesn't just save from something from torment, but he saves us for his good pleasure that we can know him and enjoy a loving relationship with him forever. So he saves us for that, that we could have relationship with God, that we could know him and praise him. So he testifies of Israel's zeal for God, but he says, it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to the knowledge of God and his purposes revealed from the very beginning. And Paul's persecution of Christ when he was Saul, it's a good example. He had zeal for God, but it wasn't according to the gospel. It was according to the law. It was condemnation. It wasn't grace and salvation. When Jesus came, he ushered in a new covenant in his own blood he made a living new way to be justified before God and made righteous that we could approach him as beloved children through faith in Jesus. But the, the Jews had the law, 
they tried to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law, thinking that if you do this, this is how you're righteous, but they failed to keep the law. So they were not righteous. And uh, the law could never render someone righteous in itself. As Paul said in Romans 3:20. therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin due to their ignorance of God's purposes, their own vain efforts, their unwillingness to submit to Christ as God. This prevented Israel from being saved. Paul said, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the law still fulfills its good purpose to show that we're sinners, but to be righteous, the, the Christ marks the end of the law that we're no longer under the condemnation of the law because it's by faith in Christ. We are made righteous. Jesus didn't come to patch up an old garment of the old covenant of law, but to give a new robe of righteousness to all who trust in him that we receive through the gospel. So righteous, righteousness never came by the law. We could not keep the law, but God's purpose of the law is to lead us by the hand to Jesus, that we could find salvation in him through faith. Romans 10 verse five for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. When it comes to being justified and made righteous, there are two possible options. Only two. You keep the law of Moses perfectly without fail before you even knew what the law was, which of course is impossible or to receive righteousness as God's gift freely received through faith. Those are your two choices. You want to be righteous. You either have to be completely perfect in every way, according to God's law or receive Christ by faith. Now I enjoy a good challenge. You guys, if the challenge is there, you're like, I want to try that. You know, you go to, you, you, I've seen, I've never done it myself, but I've seen pictures of a fair where you have like the big sledgehammer and the, you want to try to hit the, the fulcrum to knock the, the ball up and ring the bell. Like you want to achieve something. And if I see that, I'm like, give me a try. I'll pay five bucks to just try that. Or uh, when, when we were driving as a family on route 66 across the U S for a road trip, we passed Amarillo, Texas and saw the big Texan. And they had this eating challenge back in the the nineties that uh, if you could eat this two kilo steak with all the fixins, you ate free. And it was a big, and I'm like, Oh, 60 bucks is a lot of money, but I'd love to give that a go. Like, I just want to try it. And so I had a list of who had completed the challenge. And there was a 12 year old boy was the youngest and a 77 year old woman had put it all away and ate for free and had their name emblazoned in glory for the remainder of the big Texans life. There were a lot more people who failed than succeeded. Now, if the law of Moses keeping it was a challenge, there were hundreds of millions of people who had given it their all. They had done everything to try to keep it. And every one of them failed miserably. They had never come close. It wouldn't cost anything but your pride to have a go at keeping the law of Moses. Everyone failed. No one kept it except Jesus. He's the first and only one. It's the hardest challenge it's ever been 
keeping the law of Moses. And it has a Jesus percent win rate, right? You just cannot win. So turn in Moses, turn to Moses words in Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. And this is the passage that Paul is quoting from. And he relates it to Jesus. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 30, 11, for this commandment, which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. God illuminated the path of blessing and life in his law for his people. Do what God says and you will live. If you disobey God, you will be destroyed. That was it. And it was in words they could understand. It was in their own language. They didn't have to uh, design a spaceship and go to Neptune to find out what God's plans were for them. They didn't have to design a submersible to search, you know, deep, dark trenches in the ocean to learn of God. He gave them his word as a lamp into their feet, a light into their path in words they could understand. And he handed it to them. And he said, do this and you'll live. He gave them guidance for everyday decisions and words they can understand with practical wisdom that applies to real life. The hindrance, however, to doing it was their sinfulness. They couldn't do it. They couldn't have life because they couldn't keep his law and righteousness by faith through Jesus. He came down from heaven. He's given us the gospel. He's risen from the dead. He's put his word in our hands and he's given us the truth that we can receive and live by, by faith in him. His power displayed in Jesus resurrection from the dead. So righteousness of faith, it's not achieved by what you do. It's by what Jesus has done and placing your faith in him for salvation. Romans 10 verse eight. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved for with the heart. One believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. God did not set up a system where righteous status could be earned like a uni degree that you pay for and you go to school for three or four years or five years or a black belt in a martial art that you have to have some physical ability or frequent flyer miles that you have to earn status by flying or by buying particular tickets. God gave the Jews laws. They could read, they could speak, they could remember themselves. And Moses said in Deuteronomy 30 verse 14, but the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. God gave his people his laws and he spoke to them so they would do his law. So they would obey him. That's why he spoke to them. He wanted them to listen to him. He wanted them to obey. And Paul related this to what Jesus, the word who became flesh preached. 
what he's accomplished for us, that our call is to respond in faith to the gospel, that we confess with our mouths, Jesus as Lord, that we believe that he died on the cross, was buried, and he rose from the dead. The salvation that Jesus provides, it's freely offered to all sinners. It's provided for you right now. You don't have to go to the moon. You don't have to climb to, you know, a temple on a peak. You don't have to submit to any ritual or, or earn status. You don't have to pay anything to receive the salvation. God has freely offered by his grace. So you don't have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You don't have to fast for 40 days. Jesus died for you. You can be saved. You will be saved if you believe in him as Lord. When, G- when Jesus came, the Jews were looking for the establishment of the Messiah's kingdom. I mean, imagine that Jesus, the one sent by God, they were looking for him, but they didn't recognize him because the salvation he was offering them, this righteousness was not in the way that they thought it would come, which was through the law. They desired that the Messiah would conquer the Romans. They didn't know that Jesus came to defeat sin and death and Satan and to provide righteousness for everyone through the gospel that had been spoken of through the law and the prophets. And they couldn't establish, they couldn't believe that the establishment of God's kingdom was, would begin by first Jesus Christ being enthroned in the hearts of his followers who trust him, that it was a spiritual work. It was an inner work that would precede his humiliation and his suffering would precede glory. Luke 17, 20 and 21 says about Jesus. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Before Jesus would be crowned king in Jerusalem, he would be received and crowned in hearts by faith as king. He is the king. Now, salvation is of the Jews, but it's not only for the Jews. Paul cited scripture. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now we can rejoice that there's salvation for all because that includes us. That includes everyone. When Jesus fed 5,000 men and their families with five loaves and two fish, I suspect people wondered if there would be enough food for them all. Everyone who sat down, they ate to the full, which wasn't an everyday thing for some people. They weren't always eating to the full where there were leftovers. They went hungry sometimes, but everyone who sat down in obedience to Jesus, they ate to the full. And I imagine there were people who were there. Who's like, there's no way there's food enough for everyone. I'm going to town. See this big crowd? They're all going to be going to the town at some point. We need to hit that bakery and that butcher shop before everyone else does. And they left. Jesus says, sit down. And they went and they go, oh, it's closed. Oh no. Now what are we going to do? But everyone who sat, they were fed by Jesus. He fed them all. Those who trusted enough to obey him were fed. And those who trust Jesus as Lord will be saved by him forever. This isn't complicated. It's like, but are we willing to receive it? Are we willing to believe him that he is our savior and Lord? Paul quoted Joel 2:32, one of the prophets. 
And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Jesus called out to everyone, come to me and find rest for your souls. And whoever means it doesn't matter about your ethnicity, your social status, your past or present sins, all will be saved for the Lord is the, is it says the same Lord overall is rich to all who come to him, who call upon him. So God offers salvation that's received as a free gift. And when we say someone's rich, it's usually by means of comparison, right? We're saying rich because they have enough to live on and to spare. And that's by comparison to others who barely have enough to live on, or they don't have anything left over, but God is rich to all. He has all riches and he's generous with those riches. Many rich people, they want to stay rich. They want to increase their wealth, but Jesus made himself of no reputation. He embraced poverty of putting on a human body and, and humility in going to the cross so that we might be made rich. It says in two Corinthians eight, nine, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though that though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. And this isn't talking just about money. This is talking about the, the real riches of God and a relationship with him and glory with him forever. Forgiveness, acceptance. How awesome is our God? Romans 10, 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. It's pointed out here that belief someone will hear an answer precedes a call us calling them. Have you ever tried to contact someone in particular? You didn't know their number. And so you just put 10 numbers into your phone. You're like, hello, Tom. Oh, it's not you. Sorry. Or wrong number. And you're like, oh, I'm going to get it one of these times. You just keep putting numbers in. No, we wouldn't do that. If you do, you have way too much time on your hands. <laughs> and you should just, uh, you would do better walking to their house. Even if it's in the northern beaches from here. So using the contact details, we are supplied. We make a call to apply for a job, to make a booking, to get information. Paul says, how can they believe in him if they have not heard of him? So you obviously have to hear of something before you'd believe. And in those days you heard mostly everything that you knew because a lot of people were illiterate. They weren't reading scrolls and those documents were hard to obtain. They were very expensive. Word of mouth was the most common way that information was conveyed, whether it be a town crier or the philosophers debating on Mars Hill. It said that people lived to hear the latest things, not read the latest things. We hear, we see, we read things, but they were hearing. They heard a lot. It was about hearing something and investigating it. There was no message preached unless there were people sent for that purpose to preach. 
right? There was no message unless there was a messenger and there wouldn't be a messenger unless someone sent the messenger with a message. Now I've heard these verses used to suggest there's a lack of Christians who share the message. But really in context, as we read this at different points being made that the way people believed in Jesus and that they could call on him for salvation was because they heard of him. That's why they believed in Jesus because they heard of Jesus. And the only way they heard of Jesus is because God sent people to give them the message of Jesus. So God who provided the means of salvation through Jesus He also sent messengers everywhere to proclaim the gospel so that all could hear of Jesus so that they would believe in him so that they would receive him. That's why we have the book of Romans. That's why we have the Bible at all because God sent people. When Paul went to the Gentiles, he didn't hand out little scrolls in Hebrew that the people go, what is this? Like, how do you understand this? I speak Greek. No, he spoke Greek so they could understand him so that they could share what they had heard about Jesus. Did you hear about this God? We have that, that idol to the unknown God that we don't even know. But Paul told me about that God and he's the God who created all gods, all the things that we worship as gods. Like he made everything in his testimony before King Agrippa, Paul shared what Jesus told him in Acts 26, 17, 18. Jesus said to him, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, Jesus had a plan for Paul beyond just saving him. He was sending him and he was sending him with the purpose so that people could hear the gospel truth. They would turn from darkness. They would be delivered from the power of Satan that they'd receive forgiveness and eternal life. And that's exactly what we're offered through the gospel of Jesus. So God has sent his people into the world. He's still sending them into the world. And Jesus said, because there's such a harvest of souls and there is a, a plentiful harvest yet to be reaped. Matthew nine thirty eight. Jesus said, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Are you willing to be the answer to your own prayer that you would go where he sends you just in your circle to your, the people in your life, to those at the workplace, to those around you, to share Christ by walking obediently to the gospel. Now the quote found in verse 15, we see it in Isaiah 57 two. We see a variation of it in Nahum 1:15. Even in the troubling days of Isaiah, when the Assyrians and the Babylonians were coming against Israel, there were, there was good news. There was still good news from God when things were really bad. And if you're having a really bad or a hard time right now, know there's still good news from God for you right now. We have had good news to share through the gospel ever since. And because God's been faithful to send people to proclaim the gospel of peace, we have believed, we have experienced God's marvelous light. And it says in Isaiah 52, seven, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. 
This is hundreds of years before Jesus has come, but there was good news for them. And there's good news for us through Jesus. Like the message of God's glory was declared by the heavens and the earth God created. So the gospel has gone out to all the world and mountains of unbelief are no obstacle to God reaching the hearts and saving the souls of people. Romans 10, 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So let's follow the logic of the preceding verses. It's not that salvation was impossible. It's not that God was slack to send his messengers to send to, to send his messengers to proclaim the good news. And it's not that his messengers were negligent to share the good news. And it wasn't that people had never heard the truth. The truth is people heard the truth and they were unwilling to receive it as truth. They were unwilling to repent of their sin, to believe in Christ and to receive the gospel of peace by faith. Some heard the message and they continued in skepticism. Like, oh, we'll hear about this some other time like on Mars Hill or the Jews, they continued to seek out their own righteousness by the law. Well, I can do it my way, or this is my tradition, or this is my religion. And so I'm going to achieve that end in my own way. But unless it's God's way, there's no peace. There's no hope. There's no forgiveness. There's no salvation except through Christ. If man will be saved, it must be by the one way that God has made by faith in Jesus. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Has God spoken? Yes, he has. He's given us his word. Have people heard? Yes. Paul affirms that again. He quotes from Psalm 19:4 that the message of God's glorious salvation, it's gone throughout the whole earth. God's given the message of salvation in words that people can hear and understand. And it's awesome that we have translators right now in the Christian community who, who are skilled in languages and they're still translating scriptures in unreached languages. But has the word gone out? Yes. And this is Paul writing it in the first century. The word went out. All Asia heard what Paul preached. People in Jerusalem, they heard the message of the gospel. But most have been willing, unwilling to obey the gospel. See, man has a responsibility before God to trust him, to believe him, to submit to him, to admit that I am a sinner, that Jesus is a savior and to confess Jesus as my risen Lord and trust in him. Turn your, in your Bibles to Isaiah 52 verse 13. Now this is the passage that immediately precedes Isaiah's quote in Romans 10, 16. Here's a little trivia question for you. It's, it's probably not that hard. But uh, of the major and minor prophets that God sent to the people, uh, were they generally listened to by the Jews? No. Right? That's foreshadowing of what would happen when the Messiah came, who was also sent by God, right? The prophets came to correct the people, to instruct them in the ways of God, to rebuke them for their sin, to warn them and say, this is the consequence of your sin. Generally, they did not listen. 
And so when the Messiah came, they didn't listen to him either. Isaiah 52, 13 through 15, it says of the coming Messiah, who is Jesus. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you. So his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them. They shall see and what they had not heard. They shall consider God is saying my servant, the Messiah that I will send. He will be wise. He will be exalted. He will be praised and very high. We know he's the most high. Jesus humbled himself. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was crucified. And as he hung there on the cross, his face was so beaten and marred. He was unrecognizable to people who knew him because of the blood streaming down his face, because of the swelling from being beaten and having his beard pulled out. The shed blood of Jesus, it says sprinkled many nations cleansing from sin. Anyone who will trust in him, that through him, there is atonement, that there's forgiveness and salvation. Now this forgiveness and salvation, was only alluded to under the law, eternal life that that was hardly even mentioned in the law, but through Jesus, we have that promise of eternal life through the gospel. And then right after he says all this about the servant, right? The very first line in Isaiah 53, one, because remember the chapters were not in place when you would read through, it'd just be a running text. It says, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's like, who has believed very few who has it been revealed to everyone? God's made his word plain. He has made himself clear, but not everyone's listened to him. So Jesus, he's been made flesh. God revealed to all the world, but not all have believed, not all have listened, not are all, not all are willing to obey and submit. And may we be those who are willing to obey and submit to Jesus, our Lord. Verse 19. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul says, Israel cannot claim ignorance over this. God has from the beginning showed that they would reject the Messiah, that they would not hear him but the Gentiles would receive Christ. He provided salvation for Jew and Gentile alike. The Jews imagine they had a monopoly on God's favor and blessing and life. But God said, I'm pleased to be found by those who aren't even seeking for me. They don't even know me, but they're going to be the ones who find me. And it's going to provoke you to jealousy. And this was written in the time of Isaiah. The full quote from Deuteronomy 32, 21, it says concerning idolatrous Hebrews, it says they have provoked So this is not talking about the Gentiles. This is talking God talking about his own people, the Hebrews. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols, but I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. 
God would see that the Jews would reap what they had sowed. They worshiped idols instead of God who had revealed himself to them. And so he'd provoke them to jealousy when people who did not know God, when people who did not have the law of Moses received the gospel and were filled with the Holy spirit and have a relationship with the living God. That's not, you could only dream of under law. So he's like, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to dwell inside you. You've built me this tabernacle later, a temple in which I will dwell in, but I'm going to dwell in your hearts by faith. Oh, what is that? Provoked. Like he's our God. How could, how could he, how could you know anything about him? You don't have the law. You don't have the prophets, but we have Jesus. We have the gospel. So we have God. And we have a future and a hope. Those saved by Jesus, they're of every tribe, every nation and tongue, all united as God's redeemed people. Praise him. Verses 20 and 21, they're quoted from Isaiah 65, 1. Because God was found by Gentiles who did not know or seek him. Jesus was sent to all people. And God sent people like Paul with gospel truth. So the Gentiles could believe about Jesus. They could hear about him and believe in him. It was not the Gentiles who were that disobedient and contrary people that he reached his arms out. He's like, come to me. They were not willing. They were not willing under Moses. They were not willing under the prophets. And they were not willing when Jesus said this and wept over Jerusalem. He's like, I want to gather you together like a hen does her chicks, but you are not Willing. It's like Jesus reached out to gather his people. And then he reached out his arms like this on the cross. So that forgiveness and salvation could be extended to everyone who trusts in him. And we're just going to continue into the next chapter to continue this, just to finish this thought. Romans 11 verse one. I say, then has God cast away his people Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God calling the Gentiles to faith in him was not casting off the Jews as if they were not his people. Oh no, they are his people. He loves them. And Paul points to himself as an example that God saves Jews. God's desire is that the Jews would come to salvation through faith in Jesus. For a long time, the Jews imagined they would be the only ones saved. And it would also be foolish for the Gentiles having received that salvation to think God has cast off the Jews. No, he has not forgotten his people. He will not uh, go back on his covenant with them. And then Paul uses an example of the prophet Elijah. He was faithful to God. Remember he had that battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And then after that, Queen Jezebel was pursuing him to kill him. And he's fasting He's gone to the mountain and he complains to God. You know, God, I am the only one left who fears you. He thought about all the prophets that Jezebel and Ahab had executed, how God's altars had been torn down and how there were altars to Baal 
all over the city, everywhere, everywhere you looked, there was sinful activity in the city of God. And God showed how wrong Elijah was. He says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You feel like you're the only one. You think you're the only one, but I have 7,000. I have reserved for myself who are loyal to me, who trust me, who are faithful. God reserved a remnant among idolatrous Israel. Paul did what Elijah failed to do. He looked at his life and he saw evidence of God working to save him and to help him. And so he could know that God was working in the lives of others and in the most ungodly places of the planet because God would save them. God has a work. He's done a work in you. And instead of feeling like you're the only one, know that because he's done a work in you, he's going to do a work through you. He's going to do a work in this world to bring salvation. That's why we're here. So people could hear of Jesus. So people could believe in Jesus. You know, we ought to do the same instead of being discouraged. Like I'm the only Christian in this office or I'm the only Christian in my family. And you feel maybe very alone, very attacked. Know that God's done a work in you to bring you to salvation, to give you forgiveness and eternal life. Thus you can know there are people that he has reserved for himself that will come to him, that will receive him. We don't have to feel alone and helpless when we have our God who saves and he's with us. Verse five, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise work is no longer work. When Paul wrote this letter, it seemed like the whole world was against Christians, right? So many of the Jews had to flee from Jerusalem because of the persecution that the Jews and the Romans were making upon them. Think of Stephen, where he was stoned to death. The martyrs in Rome who were, who were crucified and sent to wild animals that they would be killed for the sake of Christ. And so it seemed in when he wrote this, the Christians were fighting a losing battle. They were the ones being dispossessed of their property. They were the ones being persecuted and arrested. They were the ones being beaten up and killed for the name of Christ. But even as there was a remnant in Elijah's day, Paul's like, God's got a remnant today and he hasn't forgotten his people. He is going to continue to seek them, to save them, to let the message of salvation go everywhere so that people can believe. And this was not according to works election of grace, God's choice to give grace to everybody. And that includes us. So praise God for that. God's choice. I want to save Jews. I want to save Gentiles. Whoever calls upon me by faith, that's the person I'm saving. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. If salvation could be earned by keeping the law, it would be of works and not of grace. But salvation is by grace through faith. And that's how God has sought, seen fit to give salvation to all people by grace through faith received as a gift. 
You know, it can be disheartening when we share the gospel and people do not respond warmly, or maybe they're antagonistic against the gospel. It's overwhelming if you feel like reaching the entire world falls to you, like unless you do your part, it's not going to go out. Well, know that it's gone out. It is going out. And Jesus is the one who sends people. And we don't need the internet to reach the world for Christ. The, the world was reached and is being reached. The more people that are born, guess what? These are people that don't know Jesus. Maybe never heard of Jesus, even in our own cities. And so the mission field comes to us sometimes where we have this opportunity to talk to people who've never heard of Jesus. And through your testimony, through your life and love, Christ in you, people will be saved. He's done a work in you. He wants to do a work in them. He will be faithful to do it. We can be confident. God has not forgotten us. God has not forgotten our nation. God's presently at work to save us. And so knowing this, Paul, he's sharing Christ actively. He's writing a letter and he's like, God has not cast off his people. So no, God has not cast you off. No, he draws you with loving kindness to trust him. So today we receive communion and obedience to our Lord Jesus. The bread, which in our case is a rice cracker, represents the body of Christ broken for us. The cup symbolizes the blood of Jesus shed for us. And as we consider Jesus dying for our sins, remember he who died is also risen and he lives and he lives to make intercession for us. And we can live our lives like Jesus is, he, he might as well be dead and in a tomb somewhere, uh, old bones rotting with the fears and the worries that we let creep into our thoughts. When we have a living God who has saved us, who loves us, who cares about us, who is working in and through us, he's actively helping us. Philippians 2, 9 and 11, it says of our risen savior, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. So let's be those who, who willingly choose to bow the knee and raise our praise to him now because we have a risen savior. He saved us and he's going to continue saving. It's what he does. That's who he is. And the fact that you are born again, it shows that God's plan is to bring others to salvation and he will help you do your part when you look to him in faith. So could I please invite the worship team to come forward? And as they lead us in a song, I invite you to come up, uh, we can make two lines and take of the bread and the cup. And then I will just lead us in a prayer together so we can receive as one. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have sent Jesus to be our savior and that he's, he humbled himself and made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant. And he's humbled himself to the point of the cross to die for us. And thank you that you've revealed your power and your glory by his resurrection, by his ascension to heaven. And thank you that he lives to make intercession for us and that he will never leave or forsake us. And Lord, we confess we are sinners. 
we are unrighteous in ourselves. We have no hope. We have never kept the law, nor could we. And so we come before you humbly, Lord, asking that you forgive us, thanking you for saving us. Thank you for calling us into your kingdom by choosing us because out of your grace, you desire to save all who come to you. And Lord, I pray if there is in us a worry or a fear or a concern um, that you would reveal that so we might confess it as sin, so we might be able to say the joy of the Lord is my strength and to walk uprightly glorifying you. And uh, even in the midst of pain, Lord, thank you that there's good news in Jesus, that there's always hope and help in our savior. And I, we do pray Lord for those that we know and those that we don't know, those who are being born in our communities and across the world right now who have never heard of Jesus. Lord, I pray that through us, through others, they would hear the message of salvation and they would believe it. And Lord, I pray we would be willing to obey the gospel, to believe the gospel, to love one another as you have loved us and to extend the grace to others that you have lavished upon us. So Lord, we thank you for your shed blood. We thank you for that broken body through which we are made whole. And I pray that you would uh, just join us together in unison to love you and to praise you and glorify you now and forever in Jesus name. Amen.